Well, good morning. I'm uh, Tom Crocker, Director of Equipping at uh, ICC. And uh, I'm going to invite you to, uh, to join us with our teaching this morning on praying with others, the importance of agreement. And we've been moving around a little bit in our book, so that's not sequential from last week or the week before. It's on page 109 page 109, Praying with Others, the Importance of Agreement. Now these uh, PowerPoints have been selected, obviously, as the book was prepared. It didn't hit me till this week, and I started getting, well, Robbie sent me the PowerPoint. Here I am preaching. And I've kind of drawn attention to the fact that I'm one of the older ones in the group. And then we got a group of ladies. I, I really thought about declaring this day Senior Adult Day at ICC. <laughs> we, just, we just want you to know there are a few of us among you. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> And I can't tell you what an incredible privilege that is. Paula said this morning, boy, you would have really loved to sleep in with all the rain coming down. That's my sleeping weather. And so uh, I'm hearing it now. It's okay if some of you wander in and out. I, I, I get it. I understand. But we're looking today as we continue in our mode of a posture of desperate dependence. That's, that's been our, our whole focus and our whole posture as we've spent time in this season about prayer, that we understand what it means to be desperately dependent on our Lord, that we abide in His presence and we long for His power and we depend upon His promises. And today we look at what that looks like in praying for, with others, with the importance of agreement. And, and here's the deal. We've been doing that. We've been doing that these last few weeks. We've been praying with one another. So have, have you ever been in a situation where you went to talk to somebody or teach a group of people and about something they're already doing and they do it well? And you go, what am I going to say? How am I, I going to bring any new learning here? Because I've been watching you do this well, praying with one another, and I've been hearing about you in small groups doing this well, praying with one another. So I think what I want to encourage us to do today and what I want to focus on is really not so much my teaching you about that which you really are experiencing, but us debriefing, if you would, about that. Debriefing about what we have learned and experienced. And we're going to do that through a 
an incredible happening in the New Testament of their early church. It's recorded in Acts, Acts 12, 1 through 17. I love this story. Now, if you read this story and don't chuckle in a few places, you're really not in the right mood about this. This is, this is one of the most transparent, humorous stories with a powerful, powerful representation of God's response to prayer. And I want us to read it together today. As I read it out loud, you follow, you follow along either in, in your copy uh, or, your, or on the screen here. Acts 12, 1 through 17. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the sail. He struck Peter. Another translation is he poked Peter <laughs> on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had past the first and the second guard they came to the iron gate leading into the city it opened for them of its own accord and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him when Peter came to himself he said now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together 
and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened and saw him, they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Isn't that just an incredible happening, an incredible experience? I, I just love this story. What, what we have is Herod Agrippa, who is the grandson of Herod the Great, who was ruling the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth, has been placed in Judea and has added some other territory, and he's, he's giving reign to all this Jewish territory. And he's, he doesn't really care about the Jews, but he's doing everything to please the Jews so that he can expand his own power. And so he discovers by just, I, 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 don't, I don't know what prompted him to do this. This was certainly out of character. So the, 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 the Christian church had been under some persecution, but the leaders had not been threatened. But all of a sudden, Herod goes after the leaders. You remember the cluster of three that went with Jesus on the different places of Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. He goes after James and kills him immediately with the sword. The, the indication there is he beheaded him with the sword. And when he realized how this pleased the Jews and what, it, what that means is how it rallied the Jews to himself, all of a sudden... He was more popular than he had been, and he liked that. So he arrests Peter. Don't know really what's going on with John here. He's not even mentioned, but we know later in his writing, he's, on, he's later exiled to the Isle of Patmos, but he's, he's somewhere there in the mix. But James, John's brother, I mean, yeah, James, John's brother, is dead. Peter is arrested and waiting execution. He knows when he's arrested, he's going to be executed. But Herod runs into a little bit of a hiccup. You see, it's Passover, and then there's about seven days after that where there's days of unleavened bread, where they're not supposed to eat any leavened bread. And it's a Jewish, it's a Jewish remembrance of the Exodus, of the people coming out of Egypt and, and, and then the wilderness wanderings. And so this is very important to the Jews. And there was a law, Jewish law, you did not do any killing at all. 
during that time. No execution. So Herod knew that. And to keep in good stead with them, obviously he doesn't execute Peter right away. He waits until the passage of time, until the night before he's about to the next day execute Peter. So, Peter is waiting his execution, and did you notice? He's asleep. He is asleep, and he is the next day going to be executed. How could that be? How could he not be just churning inside and restless and having one of those nights that we've all had? And maybe a series of nights of just not being able to sleep. For his life's about to be taken, and he's asleep. Well, let's pause a minute because I want to pull out of here. We're talking about praying with others, but I want to pull out of here a very important image in the life of Peter. I want us to see something in the life of Peter that will help us understand what it means or how important it is agreement, what it means to be in agreement as we pray with others. So let's do a flashback. Let's go back a moment before this time. We know Jesus, Jesus called Peter to be a disciple along with John and James. And you remember right before Jesus is about to be crucified that he's gathered his disciples together and he's told them that it's his time and some are going to come and take him and you remember what Peter did you remember how Peter responded to that he said nobody's going to take you I will I will die before that happens Do you remember that I'll, I'll die I'll give up my life for you what did what did Jesus tell Peter? Oh, Peter, before the night's done and the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And Peter just said, no way. You remember that? That's, and, and then the night of the crucifixion, of the, while the trial is going on, do you remember the interaction that Peter has with some folks in the court and they come up to him and said, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of his followers? And he immediately says, no, no, I'm not. A second time someone asks him and he says, no, no, I'm not. And then a third time and he even gets more violently in his language and in his behavior, says, no way am I a follower of his, and immediately the cock crows. And this is what happens. This is what happens. Right after that, the Lord turned in the courtyard there while he's being tried and questioned. He turns and looks at Peter. Put yourself in that place. Have you, ever, have you ever just lost it with somebody? Maybe 
your wife or husband, and you just say something you shouldn't have said. You say something that cuts to the quick. You say it out of anger. You say it out of whatever. You just, maybe it's a good friend, and you're, all of a sudden you're going at each other, and you say something, and it cuts to the quick, and you know you've blown it. But then there's that look. <laughs> they look at you, knowing you've just cut them. Jesus looks at Peter. And Peter remembers saying of the Lord that he would deny him three times. And see what he did. He went out and wept bitterly. And then the, our Lord is, is, is crucified and, and he... He's put to rest in the tomb, and then three days later, he comes to life. He's risen. And you remember who, when, the, when they went back to say, the Mary and Martha, when they went back to say that the tomb was empty, who, who ran to the tomb? It was Peter and John, and Peter ran to the tomb. I, I'm, I guarantee you, I, I, there's no way to know. It's not written in there. I just kind of sometimes like to imagine in between the things. But I know that there's been all that time, there's been sleepless nights for Peter. He has been struggling. He has not slept since, I guarantee you. And he runs to the tomb. Jesus is not there, but he knows Jesus is alive. And then Jesus appears to the disciples, and all four Gospels give an account of how he appears and kind of spends some time. He, 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 he interacts with, they even talk about interacting with Thomas. He's lifted out. But no mention of Peter in all of that until John talks about it. In his gospel, John 22, uh, 21, John 21. You remember this? You remember this? Peter, after Jesus has been with him for a few days, different times, Peter's still restless. He's still not sleeping well. He's still restless, and he says, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go fish what he did. That's what he did before he started following Jesus. He knew about fishing, and he said, I'm just going fishing. He went to his comfort zone. He, he went to the, anything that would just bring some comfort to him. And he and the disciples, they went with him, and they're out there in the boat fishing, and all of a sudden, this man from the shore hollers at him and says, how's it going? <laughs> how's fishing? And they immediately recognized him. It was Jesus calling out. And he said, well, fish on the other side. Go ahead and fish. And they knew immediately that Jesus had been in their was in their presence. And you remember what Peter did? Peter got out of the boat and swam, ran to the shore. 
That's the first time we've seen him mentioned since Jesus has risen. And I don't know what he did when he got to the shore. It doesn't really say. He just sort of, he got to the shore and, and then you go, what, what now? You see, they, from all indication, they've not talked since that night Jesus looked at Peter. There doesn't seem to have been any kind of personal interaction. Peter's probably been in the room, but you know how you can be in the room and not in the room? And I'm thinking that's what's going on with Peter. But now Peter is on the shore with Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's, as we say in the South, he's fixing breakfast. Now those of you up there, it just means he's preparing breakfast. But we just say he's fixing breakfast. And he's putting the fish that they bring on shore, and he's having a good, good breakfast time. John's the only one that records the conversation between Jesus and Peter. But that makes perfect sense. You see, Peter, James, and John had that little seemingly special relationship with Jesus. And I, John was there, and I think they're huddling around, eating. And sometimes the other disciples were used to that, and they all probably just kind of somewhat noticed but ignored a little bit of it. But here is the moment that Jesus looks back into the eyes and heart of Peter. It's such a special moment. We have to see this moment. He looks into the eyes and heart of Peter, and he asks him a question. Peter, son of Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I don't know what these are. I don't know if it's the fishing, if it's the disciples. It's just everything. It's just anything and everything. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time. Notice where he's going. He's going to that third time. But the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to you, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. Conversations going back and forth. And then, go again. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Let me suggest how I think he's hearing this. I think he's hearing this question like, Peter, you do love me, don't you? You do love me, don't you? I think that's how he's hearing that question now. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
And then he said something to Peter. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I want to suggest to you that it's at that point Peter totally agreed with Jesus about himself and about his life and he became desperately dependent on him in receiving him and he agreed with him about anything and everything how do I know that go back to where we were in the story a while ago he's asleep he's asleep he is sleeping like a baby He's confident. As far as he knows, this is what John, Jesus is talking about. This is when his moment is. And so he's not surprised and he's prepared. There is something very special when you can sleep and be at rest in the Lord because you agree with him about yourself and your life. We have uh, two, uh, two of our older grand, granddaughters living with us right now, and they just, nothing wrong, they just, with, with home, they just announced to us, hey, Paul, Ganny, we're going to live with you. And we said, okay. <laughs> well, the, the first one came, came along, and what do you do with a 19, 20-year-old grandchild that comes and lives with you? I mean, they're not your child growing up, and you don't have curfew. Do you have curfew? What do you do here? I mean, she's going to school. You know, she's going out. She's got a boyfriend. She's got a life. You know, she's like she's at school, but we're the dorm. So, you know, so what do we do? I, I really didn't know, but the first few nights, I, we, we kind of, you know, we got her on 360. We felt real responsible, and, you know, I'd, I'd stay up. She'd come in late. If she listens to this later on the podcast, probably a little later than she should. But she'd come in late, and I would say, come here and let me, you know, I'd greet her. You know, I think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to greet her. I, I, I was nervous about her, you know. After a while, she, responsible young lady, she's an adult. If she was in school at a dorm, she'd be coming and going on her own. And I got the relaxing. Now, Ganny may not have relaxed as much as me, but I got to relaxing. And after a while, she'd come in. We got these little beeper sound that the door makes, and I'd hear it, and I'd go, oh, Kaylee's home. I'd just go back to sleep. I was confident in her. I am confident in her. When we're confident in our Lord Jesus and desperately dependent on him for our life and everything about it, we can be at rest. And when we're not at rest, that's, and I'm saying this to myself, when we're not at rest, that's a signal that we have moved away from desperate dependence on him. That's what it means to agree that we are coming in total dependence on you 
and surrendering everything. So we go back to the story. Peter is asleep. Don't you find that funny? He, the angel wakes him up. He pokes him. He says, wake up. And he's telling him to get dressed. I, you know, I'm kind of thinking the angel, he's got everything under control, but he's kind of thinking, Peter, I'm trying to break you out of this prison. Would you wake up and get dressed and let's go? Kind of like a father urging a, a child along. And they get out in the street, and Peter thinks he's had a dream or a vision, and then he wakes up, and he realizes, I'm out in the street. And he goes to the door and knocks. Now, remember what's going on. Many were gathered together and praying. This wasn't in a vacuum. He's not doing this disconnected from, from uh, the happenings of the church. He comes to them who are praying for him. And he knocks on the door. And we won't go back into it, but I hope you laughed a little bit about that. I mean, Rhoda comes and she gets so excited, he, she leaves him out in the street. I mean, Peter just broke out of prison and he's, you know, he doesn't know the guards haven't been aware of it yet. And he's just standing out there in the street and, and Rhoda goes back to the disciples. They get in a discussion, an argument. They think it's his guardian angels, really what the sense of that is. And then they finally come to the door and they get so excited that Peter's going, shh, you know, goes inside. I just love this story. And they embrace what God has done. So quickly, from the story the scripture and our experience, I want to share with you a, full, a few bullet points of takeaways. First of all, praying with others is a shared relationship. Praying with others is a shared relationship. As we pray in relationship with God, prayer is a relationship, not a religious activity. It's not something we do in church. It is something we have and are in church, as church. We're family. God is just not my father, but he is our father. And these two words remind us that we're both children of God and siblings of each other. I might say to a close friend, we're brothers of another mother. But I can say to all of you in this room, we are brothers and sisters of the same Father. We are family. First of all and above all, anytime we come together, anytime we gather to pray, what it means to pray with others is to pray with family because we're the church. A second takeaway is that praying with others reinforces denying self. See, that's what Peter had to do. That's why I wanted to take the time to lift out that image of Peter. Peter is denying himself. He's completely surrendering himself. And so Peter and us, we as like Peter, must surrender ourselves totally. 
you know, we're really a mess if we don't do that. We're really a mess. James 4, 1 through 3 talks about what kind of mess we can create if we're not surrendering, if we're not denying self. This is, like, this is really like who we really are right here. This is what we're like without Christ in our lives. We've got our own passions. We've got our own agendas. We've got our own ideas, and we bring all that together, and we've got our own emotions about that. We cause quarrels, and we cause fights because we've not asked the right way, and the right way is to deny self. We have to answer the question, do we love Jesus? Jesus asked us, do you love me? And we have to answer that question. So to pray with others is to deny and reinforce denying ourselves. Praying with others increases our spiritual concentration. When we pray in a direction, immediately look for God to work. We know that the people, the church that was praying for Peter, didn't it? they probably weren't even praying for his release. Frankly, that, that was just out of the scope of their feasibility. How would you pray for somebody who had four squads of, of guards and he's chained? I mean, how would you pray that that person get released? How would they even know to pray that way? They're just praying for him. They're just totally desperately praying for Peter as he faces his death. And God shows up with Peter knocking on the door. How cool is that? How wonderful and glorious is that? When we pray and we give ourselves completely in agreement to desperately depend on Him, He shows up. Look for it. Watch for it. May not happen the way we thought. Probably won't. Probably will happen in a way we would have never imagined if we're truly surrendering to Him and agreeing with Him about what He wants to do. And then finally, the thing I want to narrow down to is that praying with others as the church teaches us as the church family, we really need the Lord. We really need the Lord. I think that's the next slide. If we want to see our church thrive in faithfulness to God, we must pray like our lives depend on it. I want to I do something. I don't know. This, this, may, this may feel cheesy. I'm not sure. I hope not. I, I want to illustrate something, and you can tell me later. Boy, you shouldn't have done that, but we'll try it. Someone has said that praying's like breathing. Now, I, I, I did a teaching not too long ago about the Bible, and I used that, that analogy that it's, the word is God's breathed out word for us, and we breathe that in. So I, I kind of, when, when, when I heard that phrase, praying is like breathing, I... I, I I heard it and processed it with that filter in mind. And here's what it came to. I think prayer is the exhaling of the breath. I think it's the surrendering of that which we have in us, totally. You know, if you think about it, when you breathe, when you exhale, you're done for. Unless 
you breathe back in. You have totally surrendered yourself by breathing out. I think that's what, I think that's what real prayer is. It's exhaling so we can receive and inhale the presence and power and promises of God. Does that make sense? That, that, that's what prayer and time with God is. It's that exhaling and inhaling. And when we do that as a church, we're all exhaling and inhaling the promises and presence and power of God. And so we've got to exhale together, surrender together. So many times churches will gather and it's kind of like they hold their breath. Have you noticed? They hold their breath instead of breathing deeply because they're, they're, they're not ready to surrender. They're not ready to let go. They've got something in mind they want. Maybe half of them want to do this and half want to do that or a few want to do that. And, and instead of dealing with, with really breathing deeply, they just kind of hold their breath and go, go at each other. And if we would just totally let go of our breath together, then God can breathe in what he needs to do for us. So we need to breathe deeply together. So here's what I want you to do. This is the cheesy part. At, when I count to three and I say exhale, I want you to exhale together. Okay? Now, you'll have to trust me here because I don't want you to inhale until I tell you to. Do you trust me? <laughs> I don't want you to inhale till I tell you to. I won't, I won't take too long. But I want us to do this together. Okay? Are you ready? All right, one, two, three. In a minute, I'm going to say one, two, three, exhale. Not yet. And then after you've let it out, and let it out, let it out. I mean, give it all. I'm going to say one, two, three, inhale. All right? Let's do this together. Are you ready? One, two, three, exhale. Okay, you ready? One, two, three, inhale. I wish you could have seen that. I wish you could have seen all of you inhaling. But that's exactly what God sees. When we give it all out and surrender to him, that's exactly what God sees. When, when we let it all go and we surrender our own self to him, that's what God sees. And that's what the church experiences when they breathe in together God's presence, His power, and His promises. That's how we get desperately dependent on Him. We must breathe deeply. We must breathe frequently. We must breathe together. That's what I want to invite us to do again today. We've been doing that. I just want us to breathe together by praying together. And I'm, I'm just going to invite our prayer uh, counselors to come up and they'd be standing here. You may need to pray with one of them. But I want you to, get, I want you to huddle with somebody. I'm not asking you to be the one to pray. You may not be the one to do that. But huddle with somebody or huddle with a group and here's, how what I, here's what I do want you to do. 
when somebody does pray, be conscious that you are exhaling. Think about what it means to surrender completely. Whatever it is that we are kind of jockeying for in our own lives, we give away. We give it up. Whatever we might think about on our own, we just give away. We just say, Lord, that doesn't mean we can't talk honestly with God and we can't be open with one another. But at some point we say, this is what I think, but, but you know, none of that really matters. You exhale it and you completely give it away and you just wait for God to breathe in what he wants and we join him in that that's what I want us to do just if you're a guest here today don't don't feel uncomfortable about this just just let just let somebody kinda huddle with you and y'all just y'all just pray you can pray silently you can have a group to pray somebody in that group to pray we have our prayer counselors up here I'll be up here but let's breathe today. Let's pray today and pray together. Let's do that right now.